0: Verse 4 of Corinthians it says this, Paul says, now eagerly, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. And then he goes into this next chapter and this is the most excellent way. We know this to be love. And so we're doing a series entitled Love is a Choice. He says this, I he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I were to give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast. But notice that phrase, that I may boast. Do you see what Paul, I mean, these little subtle things that Paul puts in there is, is what would if you're to brag about something like that what would your motive be it's not out of love but it's out of selfish desires to make yourself look good he said that i may boast but do not have love he said i gain nothing so understand paul's really driving home that that love is the most excellent way he then says in verse 4 notice what love is we we looked at this last week that love is patient or Would say love is long suffering, love is patient. We're going to look at these next couple this morning. Love is kind and it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Why don't we pray and ask God to bless His word this morning? But I'd like to take a moment and ask you to pray with me because of the things that are going on in the world. Let's pray for Ukraine this morning. Uh, Let's pray for the believers there, the Christians there, the church there. Let's pray for that country. Let's pray for their leadership. But let's take a few moments. Would you just and bow with me? And let's, This is serious stuff. Okay, I'm not going to get off uh, on other things. But let me tell you, this is serious stuff. This is the stuff that, that Revelation and the Bible prophesies about. There's areas called Gog and Magog. And that's basically Russia. And there's a point, there's going to be a time where Russia will at some time begin to try to, to take over... The Europe and eventually move down into the Middle East, which will eventually be Israel. Isn't it interesting that Israel is the ones right now that are trying to help negotiate peace? I, I don't want to get sidetracked this morning because we're on this series. But let me just say this. Everything that you see happening in the news, it is relevant to what the Bible, the Scripture says. And the Bible has prophesied of these things. Would you at least say amen to that? So we as a church, we need to be praying. Maybe this is the time, maybe, we are, maybe it is the time, maybe God is saying this is the time for us to begin these last days. I believe we are in the last days, but to really hasten and bring it very quickly or maybe God would give us a little more time. I pray for more time so more people can come to know Christ as their Savior, amen? And so let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that these things that we see in the world do not take us by surprise, Even the things that we are seeing this very day, the things that we see on the news, these things have been prophesied. Lord, we know that these things at some time will come to pass, that there will be a culmination of a great and final world war. We know that is what the scripture tells us and that that day is coming and maybe it's coming very soon. I pray that it would help us as the church, the followers of Christ to wake up. And to see that the Bible is real, the Bible is true, the Bible is relevant. But Father, we know that that you are in control of all things. And we pray that even though as we see these things, we pray for more time. Lord, we do pray for peace. Lord, we pray, Lord, for, for Ukraine. We pray for this country. We pray for the citizens. We pray you continue to give them courage to fight off this evil God, I pray that you would intervene and that you would do miraculous things. And we pray that, Lord, you would give more time, Lord, that you would bring peace there to that area and peace to the Middle East. But, Lord, we also understand that, that you are in control. And so, Father, as though, although we pray for peace, we do pray for the church. We pray for believers. We pray for our missionaries that are serving there in that area. We pray that you would give them, Lord, opportunity to share Christ in the midst of all of this crisis. We know that you will be honored, that you will be glorified. And so we pray your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we're in this series on love, we're reminded what Jesus said. Jesus said, by this, speaking of love, by, by this love one for another, he said, all men will know that you are my disciples. When Jesus was here on earth, he said, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. That wasn't the new commandment. If you go a little farther, he says this. He says that you love one another as I have loved you. And so we understand that the love that Jesus was talking about was not just a like or, you know, a fond of or just even a brotherly love. It was a a, a term that we call agape love. It is the love that Christ has for us. And so Paul is writing in this chapter as he writes to this church, and he's writing to you and I today about this love, this Christ like love, this some versions would call it charity or love. And he tells us and shows us that love is of the utmost importance. He says, there's faith, there's hope, and he says, but the greatest of these is love. He says, there's these three foundational things in the life of a believer, but the greatest is love. In fact, he tells us in this chapter as well, as we continue to work our way through it, he says that love never fails. And so he really gives us an entire chapter on love. And it's very, very comprehensive. I mean, it's, there's a lot to it. But what's interesting is, is he says that love is something that is, is something that is action. Love is something that is shown. It's demonstrated. It's not just something that you say. Now, it is important that we say to people, I love you. But the fact of the matter is, is that term in, in our culture and in our society today is very cheap very shallow. You know, I've seen it so many times. It's, you know, like even, you know, when you work with youth and when you coach, you know, it's just interesting because guys will be in a relationship and they'll post, you know, and then, you know, it's real when it's like on Snapchat where it's on Instagram, that's when it's official, you know? And so they'll post and will be like in a relationship and, you know, and so in love. And, and I'll be honest, it just makes me sick. You're scrolling through, you know, and you're on Instagram and you're like, oh, I love you, boo, oh, boo, I love you. I'm like, really? You're so amazing, you're so awesome. And it's, I they're so in love and, and they have to let the whole world know it. And then like three weeks later, you see all the pictures removed and deleted, you know? They're no longer in a relationship. And like three days later, the same dude now is with some new girl, and he's in this new relationship. And you're the love of my life. I will always love you. And then like three weeks later, it's someone different. And I'm like, is this like Baskin-Robbins, 31 flavors, you know? <laughs> Holy cow, right? You know, it's like, wow, are you, what flavor are you on? Like 28, you know, 29, you know, and it's like, wow. And so what happens is we use that word, and it's just oh I love you or I love you, and and it's oftentimes really not to try to be rude here, but it's just shallow. It's just a word that people use. Understand that love is far more than just a word that we use, but love is 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 something that is within. It's it's the Bible says that it we're, it's something we're compelled to do. It's something we're called to do, and even. God has commanded us to do, to love. And so Paul says, what does love look like? And as we have looked at this and we're studying this, we're realizing that love is more than a feeling. Love is not just something we feel or a warm fuzzy. It goes much deeper than that. and There's much more to it than that. In fact, what we're studying, what we're seeing is that love is a choice. In fact, as we looked last week, he said this, that love is patient. What does love look like? What does it look like to love someone? And to love someone means to be patient with them, Paul says. Now, why would Paul, the very first thing that he uses to describe love, or a way to say this is what love looks like, this is how love acts. He says love is patient. You know, one of the things that the Bible says, there's a few things that the Bible says about God. It says that God is light, but what's the other one? There's another one we know. God is love. And one of the manifestations of God's love, the Bible says, and we studied it last week, is that God is patient. He's long-suffering to us. And aren't you thankful for that? Amen? That God puts up with us. That God is long-suffering. The fact of the matter is, Could you imagine if any one of us were God? Oh, the whole world would be in trouble, right? We'd be pushing that smite button all the time, you know? But aren't you thankful that God, in a very serious note, that God is, that because God is love, God is patient, God is long-suffering. What we understand is this, is that Paul, when he, He's giving us what love is. He says, listen, love, the very first thing is love is patient or love is long-suffering. It's going to cause you to suffer long. It's going to cause you to put up with the person that you say you love. So if you love someone, you're going to be long-suffering. You're going to be able to put up with them. And we studied that last week. But what I want you to notice is the very next statement Paul says about love is he says that love or charity, that it's kind. And I love how Paul does this. I love how Paul takes to Scripture. And I think that what happens is there's a lot of checks and balances here. Because he says, listen, love is is patient, love is long-suffering, but at the same time, love, when we demonstrate love, love is kind. And so I I truly believe what Paul is saying is this, is that many a times we might say, see, love is long-suffering, so you have to put up with me. You have to put up with me, and I can treat you however I want to treat you. But the fact of the matter is, Paul says, no, because love is patient, and love is long-suffering, isn't a license for us to treat people any way we want to treat them. Everyone understand that? Somebody say amen. And so he says, love is also kind. Love is kind. Charity is kind. It's the idea that just because we're to be long-suffering is not the same idea, though, that you have this license that you can just treat people how you want to treat them, especially those that you say you love. He says that love is kind. Notice what the Scripture says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I love this passage. They have it for us up there. Romans 2 4. There it is. Notice what, what Paul says here in Romans. He says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, speaking the kindness of God? His forbearance, notice here, in patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. The kindness of God, the long suffering of God. Notice His forbearance. It leads us to repentance. Do you know a lot of times, you know, the idea is this. I remember growing up in church. How many of you have ever heard of the fire in the brimstone? You know what I'm talking about? People like, you need the fire in the brimstone and you need to scare people to Jesus. You know, I remember years ago, many years ago, I was going to do a series on love. And I started to do a series on love. And I actually had people sitting in church saying, you know, Pastor Joe, I think that you've just compromised. You know, you need to get up and you need to. I, I literally had people. I started this series, a series like this, many years ago, many years ago in a church. And about two or three weeks in, I had people say, you know, you you need, you need, we need fire and brimstone. We need to scare people to Jesus. We need to, you know, and I'm sitting thinking to myself, the Bible doesn't even say that. We just think that you're a compromiser and you just, you want to preach on love all the time. Love, love, love. And you know what the honest truth is? I think that they didn't like the series because it was revealing that maybe they weren't very kind. And maybe they were rude. Come on. And that they didn't really have much love, but what they wanted is, they wanted the fire and the brimstone. And they wanted me to, to preach the, you know, preach that you know, hell every single Sunday, and that's going to scare everybody to Jesus. Can I tell you something? That's not what brings people to Christ. It's the goodness of God. It's the fact that God is love. That's what should draw us to Him. Amen. You see, many people have presented a twisted view of God, that God sits in heaven literally with this big computer and he sits there just waiting for someone to do something wrong and he has this button he's going to push and man, he's going he's to drop the hammer. That is not, God is forbearing, God is long-suffering, God is patient, God is kind to us to draw us to him. Amen? Let's just be honest. How many of you are really drawn to just mean Mean people. Oh, I I can't wait. We get to go see so and so. They're going to be so mean. They're going to insult us. They're going to be critical. We just can't wait to see them. It's going to be great. Can't wait. They're going to talk about how much weight we've gained and how much hair we've lost. I just can't wait. Can't wait to see him, you know. Right now, you don't don't say it out loud. But right now, there's someone you're thinking of. Are you right? You know. Am I right? You know. There's someone you're like. I know. you're someone. You, There's those people that you go. Ah, oh. they're the people that you go. I do. You like avoid. You know, because you know they're just mean and cantankerous. Ah. I remember growing up, my dad. my dad pastored and my dad was in a small church we had this guy he was just mean nasty and you'd say to him good morning how are you today mean and miserable I mean at least he was honest you know (laughs) he just ain't mean and miserable and it was like no and he would sit off to the side all by himself and no one would go near him no one would talk to him because he's mean and miserable no one wants to be around that that isn't listen to me the goodness of God amen leads us to repentance, his kindness. You know, when I think about the scriptures, two examples come to my mind in the life in ministry of Jesus Christ. How about Jesus when he's, he says, we're going to Samaria, and, and the disciples are like, what? We're going there? They had deep-rooted prejudice towards the Samaritans. They felt that they were better. And so Jesus goes to Samaria, and he's at the well. How many of you kind of remember this story? And Jesus is there, and there's the woman at the well. And he asked her to get him a drink of water. Now, some might be like, what? That was so rude of Jesus. No, it was actually an honor because to understand the Jews, they wouldn't even go through Samaria. They would walk around Samaria because they felt that they were better. And they hated him. And she is taken back. She's shocked because it was Jesus was basically what he was doing. It was an aunt. He said, Could you please, you know, ask for a drink of water? And she said, I can't believe that that one, a man would ask me for a drink. Of water. And two, that a you being a Jew would ask me for a drink of water. And when you read that account, when you read that story, what I see is this is that Jesus was kind to her. Let me ask you something. Was that woman a Samaritan? Yes. Usually mistreated by the Jewish people. Jesus was kind to her. Was she was she a saint? Was she perfect? No. Did she have baggage? Yes or no? Yes. But Jesus was kind. How about the woman who was caught in adultery? And they bring her out into the middle of the street. And they're getting ready to literally stone her to death and they use her as a plot and they use her as a pawn and a piece of their scheme to try to trick Jesus. Think about how selfish these religious leaders were and they're going to use a human being and use this person and shame her and literally, if need be, kill her out in the streets and to use her as a pawn in their silly games. And what does Jesus do? Jesus is kind. Jesus was respectful and he treated her with kindness. He didn't look down at her. He didn't think of himself as better. I mean, think about this. This was God. This was God in the flesh. And here, yes, she was a sinful person. Yes, she was a sinner. But Jesus still had respect for her. Are you with me this morning? And he was kind to her. Kindness. Jesus was kind. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. In Romans 12, 9 and 10, it says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. You see, that's what love is. Sincere love. To be kind is to honor others above yourself. To be kind. That means when you go out to eat today, be kind to whoever's serving you. Amen? Be kind to them. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 30-32. through 32. Look at this passage says. Ephesians 4, 30-32. We know these scriptures. We know these. But it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. But notice what he says, be kind. Notice this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Notice this, notice this, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. One of the things, one of the greatest ways that we can show kindness, are you ready for this? One of the greatest ways that we can show kindness is to be forgiving. To forgive others when they offend us. It's interesting because when we're looking at this passage and we're looking at what love looks like, he says the very first thing is love is what? Patient or long-suffering. You know what he's saying? You're going to be offended. You're going to be hurt. People are going to hurt you. So you have to be willing to be patient with them. We know what I've discovered the people closest to you are the people that can hurt you the most. Isn't that true? It's because we're vulnerable. We open ourselves up. And so the people that are closest to us oftentimes are the ones that can hurt us. Can I also say this? That Many of the reason why that the people closest to us can hurt us is because there is a trust there. And the, the fact of the matter is because we do love one another, sometimes we just know, well, this person loves me. So they trust us enough. They trust us enough to sometimes be unkind. I know that doesn't sound right, but it's true. Isn't it not true that many times you say that, you know what, the people they love the most are usually the people they'll hurt the most. Now, we say this doesn't make sense. But the fact of the matter is that many a times if someone is hurting, if someone's frustrated, if someone's going through things, who do they usually take it out on? Right? Let's be honest. Who do they usually take it out on? People that are closest to them. The people that they love. And so therefore, then, we must be patient. But at the same time, we should be kind. But can I say this? Are you always kind? Yes or no? No. We're not always kind. And so we need to be patient with one another. We're not always kind. So we need to what? Forgive one another. See, one of the greatest demonstrations of kindness is forgiveness. Is this making sense? That God, he forgives us for Christ's sake because of what Christ did for us. God is going to forgive us. God does forgive us. That Christ, although all that he went through, he demonstrated love as he hung on the cross and he was still kind. The Bible says he could have called 12 legions of angels. He could have called 12 legions of angels to come to his aid. That blows my mind because when you read in the Bible, there was a time where the Bible says one angel went through the Assyrian army and killed an army of 185,000 soldiers. That was one angel. One angel destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. What would have 12 legions done? That's much more by the way than 10,000. There's a song that says he could have called 10,000 angels. 12 legions is far more than that. A legion was anywhere between 6 and 10,000 and you do the math, but that's a lot of angels, are you with me? It's a lot. And he says as he hung on the cross, the scripture says he could have called 12 legions. Jesus said, do you not know that I could call 12 legions of angels at any moment and my father would send them. But Jesus, as he hung on the cross, after all that they did, he said, Father, forgive them. He demonstrated kindness. You know what? This is where I believe that that centurion soldier, the centurion who stood there and who was in charge of the execution that after he saw all that took place, he said, truly this man is the son of God. Because he realized that no human being could go through what he went through and still be kind and still be loving and still be forgiving. It's when the centurion, who was not a Jewish man, who was a Roman, said, this must be God's son. By this, you guys getting this? It's all fitting together. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you what have love one toward another. What does love look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. One of the kindest things we can do is to forgive someone who's hurt us. Amen. To forgive. He then says this, just for a few moments. We have just a few minutes this morning. Charity envies not. Or charity does not envy. It is not jealous. What is the definition of jealous or envy? I did a little study, a few statements about this envy or jealousy. It means animosity because we want what someone else has. Animosity because we want what someone else has, envy or jealousy. Or it can also be this, that we wish someone else didn't have what they had. It could be to desire evil for someone else. Out of jealousy, wishing that they would fail or flop, if you will. To be jealous. It's interesting that this is even in here. That God's people would ever be jealous if God were to bless or give someone favor. But the fact of the matter is, I can tell you this, I've been in church a long time. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. My dad started a few different churches, so I grew up in and around church. And you'd be surprised that even in the church house, people can get pretty jealous. And not really demonstrate love one toward another. Maybe yeah, because someone has a better car, a house, job, or career, friend, talent, abilities, better hair. Just saying, could throw that out there. <laughs> Jealousy. Let me just give you an example of it in the scriptures in First Samuel eighteen. 6 through 9, 1 Samuel 18, of what jealousy does. Greatest probably example in the Bible is King Saul. Think about this. God blessed King Saul. God took him from poverty, and he was a nothing and a nobody. He was a recluse. If you study the life of Saul, Saul, he really was. Now, Saul, physically, the Bible said he was bigger than everyone else. And Saul was shy and Saul never thought he would ever amount to anything. And there's a really cool story. If you read the beginning there leading up to King Saul, when God anoints him. And all of a sudden, when God anointed him, he equipped him and Saul, I mean, like he all of a sudden had this courage. And Saul was blessed. Saul was the king, the very first king. He was honored to be the very first king of the nation of Israel. And Saul was blessed beyond measure. And God had given him many victories. In fact, God even sent a young man by the name of David to come and to be his, really his military might, his military leader, a man after God's own heart. And God... It's going to bring David into the scene, but notice what happens just for the sake of time. Saul being blessed, Saul having God's favor, Saul being used by God, but something happened. It says this, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, remember? The giant from Gath. And after that great victory, you'd think that Saul would be excited Because they just destroyed the Philistines and God gave them a tremendous victory. But notice what happened. The women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet who? King Saul. To meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and with timbrels and and lyres. And when the men returning home after David, let me go to the next verse, I'm sorry, verse seven. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. And Saul probably was like, yes. It stroked his ego. Saul has slain his thousands. But what happens? In David, his Tens of thousands. Notice the next couple verses. Saul was very angry. This refrain, this song, displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he have or get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close, and a lot of versions will say this, a jealous eye on David. He kept a jealous eye on David. What happened to King Saul? What happened? Envy. Jealousy. He was being blessed, and God was working, and God was was using him and using David, and he should have been rejoicing because it was all about, it should have been all about who getting the glory. But Dave, David was getting honored more than King Saul, and he got jealous. And the Bible says he kept a jealous eye on him. And as you study the next few chapters, Saul is so envious and so jealous that he tries to have David killed. He tries to kill him. And David has to get run. Two or three times he tries to kill David, and he has to get out of his presence. And finally, Jonathan, who is... Saul's son becomes best friends with David, and they're close, and they're best of friends. He says, "David, you have to leave because my father is not going to quit until he, he tries to kill you." Which leads me to Jonathan, the son of Saul, and notice his reaction to David in chapter 23. Two completely different reactions. In chapter 23 of 1 Samuel, notice this. It says that David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him to try to kill David. But God did not give David into his hands. And while David was at Horash in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. But notice this, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horash and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horash. Two different opposite responses. You see, understand who should have been the next king of Israel. Really, the next king of Israel should have been Jonathan. Because he was the king's son. But Jonathan knew that God's hand was on David. And what we see is this. Is that Jonathan, as you would have study, if you were to look at the first few verses of chapter 18, it says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul. And because Jonathan loved David... He never had a jealous bone in his body towards David. And when he saw that God had blessed him and that God had his hand upon David, he wasn't jealous of his best friend. In fact, he encouraged him in God. He strengthened him in God and in his faith, and in his walk. And he was not jealous that God was blessing David. He wasn't at all. In fact, he was happy for him, and he encouraged him. But Saul, Saul did not have a love for David that Jonathan had. And what did he do? He was jealous. He was envious. In fact, so much so that he tried to kill David. Jealousies, let me tell you, it's straight from the pits of hell. In envy. Let me, let me just say this. Can I just be really real and blunt? Can I do it just for a minute or two? Yes or no? Are you sure? Okay. Just be kind. Just be kind. I will. <laughs> just be kind. I've been doing this a long time. Okay? This has been my life. You know how many times, and I feel bad for a lot of Christians, how many times Christians have to apologize or almost have to make excuses for why they have something nice that God's blessed them with? If you go to someone's home and they have a beautiful home and a nice home, they'll say, they'll actually have to start making excuse. Well, well, we got a really good deal with and and you know, and they almost and you you want to know something? Can I just say this? Do you know why they have to even begin saying that? Let's just be honest. Why? Come on now. Come on, am I right? Why should we ever have to apologize for God? blessing us why should you ever have to apologize if God has blessed you can I just if you drive a brand new car that's between you and God praise the Lord I'm happy for you truly but so many times I've seen it over and over and over and I want to just kind of say praise God I'm happy for you you don't have to apologize for having nice things David didn't have to apologize because God's hand was upon him somebody say amen He shouldn't have had to apologize, and he didn't. But yet, he he, he had God's blessing. He had God's favor, and God's hand was upon him. And if God has blessed you, you don't have to apologize for it. And you don't have to, listen, I'm not saying flaunt it. Come on now. That's not what we're saying. Don't be like the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Don't flaunt it. But the point is this, is that it's so sad because so many times Christians almost have to apologize for having nice stuff. It's okay to have nice stuff. Amen? It is. And if God's blessed you with it, praise God. If God's blessed you with a beautiful head that doesn't have to have hair to cover it, then praise God. You don't put marble on cheap, cheap stuff. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right? Amen? Brother Craig, amen. Amen. If God's given us beautiful heads, why would we hide it with hair? Come on now, I'm just saying. Wait, Pastor Joe, are you saying all of us with hair don't have beautiful heads? I didn't say that either. I don't know what I said, but I'm getting myself in trouble. But people will be jealous, envious. One quick story, and I'll close. About this jealousy, envy, and it even creeps into churches. <clears throat> my dad was a church planter, so a lot of times the churches we started, we met in storefronts, and you know, I'm talking storefronts, second story, third story, then knock down walls, and and so our family, our, our family did not have money. We did not have finances. Most of the time, my dad worked other jobs while trying to maintain and start a church. That's what. it gets tough. And uh, church was growing. Church was doing well. We we're in a little town called Shemokin, Pennsylvania. It's not far, just a rock's throw from a place called Centralia. Centralia, Pennsylvania is one of the ghost towns, if you look it up. Where the, and I've been there lots of times where there's smoke coming through the ground because underneath there's fires that are burning these old coal veins. Well, I live just near there. And it's, it's, a, it's kind of a depressed area. But a long story short, my dad was called to start a church there. The church was starting to grow. families coming. Things were going pretty well. But once again, we just didn't have finances. And I remember my dad found this old Volkswagen. It's the old Volkswagen buses, you know, like uh, off of Scooby-Doo, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and he's like, we, this, is, this would be great. And so he got it for like next to nothing. And it, I mean, and it needed work. Uh, and there was a guy in the church who who would fix it for us and so we had this Volkswagen bus you know old beetle and I remember we'd get in that and I would when we would drive around town people would look at us and everyone would be giving us the peace sign I had no clue what was going on and I'd be like giving the peace sign back you know and I'd be like I had no clue but you know that you know and the, the thing was like a 1972 or something like that it was black and uh the thing was always breaking down. They didn't have a heater. And it's Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania in the winter. Didn't have a heater. And those old like vinyl seats, they were like a break. They were as hard as a rock. But my dad bought it so that we could pick people up. There was a, a widow that we would pick up. And there was a single mom that had a couple kids. And then we would pick up another lady. Uh, her husband was abusive and she had no transportation. Uh, I remember that guy one time after church came out and was threatening our church Uh, And the guy was just crazy. He was abusive and the cops came and took him away. It was a cool church. Let me tell you, it was never a dull moment. (laughs) Never a dull moment. I could tell you story after story. It was, it was a church. Okay. You know, that God loved, you know, but this van would, 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 the starter didn't work. And so we lived on a hill because it was Pennsylvania. We lived up on a hill. The starter, my dad would buy a new starter, put it in. It would just fry it. I, I think there was electrical problems. It would fry it, get a new starter, find a starter, put it in. wouldn't work. And so we lived on a hill. And so you would literally park it on a hill, but it was a four-speed. So all you had to do was turn the wheel, push the clutch, let it go down the hill. You pop the clutch. And that old beetle would kick in and it would drive. It would go. I still remember this like it was yesterday. Uh, in fact, my, my mom was pregnant with my youngest sister. And we were staying at my... And my mom's biggest worry was, the baby's going to come in the middle of the night. She said, it's going to come in the middle of the night. I just know this. This is my fourth. It's going to come in the middle of the night. And we're going to get in that thing. And it's going to stall. And it's not going to start. And we're not... I'm going ha- to deliver a baby in this, in, this, in this bus. So let me... spoil alert, she didn't deliver the baby in the bus, Okay. But I do remember I was staying at my friend's house on the other side of town, but it was near, kind of not too far from the highway. And uh, no one had to tell me that my mom and dad were heading to the hospital because I still remember at like 1 or 2 in the morning, I'm trying to sleep, I'm rolling and tossing in the tent, and I could hear the old beetle heading out of town. You know, heading out of town, you know, like Kirby goes bananas, there he goes. And I knew. My, and the next day, sure enough, I was like, I told my brother, I'm like, I think, Mom, I think she's, she's having the baby. I think our baby sister's on the way. I think it's happening. And sure enough, got the call. And I was like, see, told you. I mean, I knew that thing. I'll never forget this. We would go see my grandparents in, in Bloomsburg, Bloomsburg University, Bloomsburg, College Town. We'd go see my grandparents Friday night. My dad's driving, and it's just like Cedar City. It's a town like Cedar City, and you get on Main Street. How many of you love Main Street on a Friday night? You know what happened? My dad would be driving, he'd be talking. All of a sudden, he would drive, and he would stall it out right there on Main Street. And all the cars are beeping. I'm like, be patient. My dad would say, boys, get out. Let's go. Do you know how humiliating that was? I would get out on Main Street. In Bloomsburg, and me and my brother would start pushing that old Volkswagen. We'd push it. My dad would pop the clutch, and I'm just praying that it would start the first time, you know, and sometimes it wouldn't. And I was humiliated, and I, I was like, oh, and then everybody's giving us the peace sign. I'm like, I'm not going to give you the peace sign. Just stop. <laughs> my dad would park it out when we'd go to the grocery store. I'm not making this up. Rain or shine, he'd park, we'd find a spot at the grocery store, and he'd find a spot on the hill. And by the way, I didn't tell you, the emergency brake didn't work very good, so whenever he parked it, he'd have to turn it into the curb. And so he'd have a brick. I'm not making this up. How can you make these stories up? He had a brick. So we had a standard brick that we always carried in the Volkswagen bus, but we always had to find a hill to park it on. If we didn't, then you would have to leave that thing, sit and leave it run until you came out. So it's sitting on a hill in the parking lot with the brick and I'll never forget this me and my brother and my mom we're all standing there baby sister we're all waiting and my dad's going to go out it's raining and he's going to go out and he pulls the brick when he pulls the brick the van just takes off down the hill and it's heading towards all the parked cars and my brother and I are like where's the popcorn this is exciting And I see my dad running, 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 running. And he's running next to the van. He hops in the van, shuts the door, pops the clutch, pulls down. And you have to remember, this is when the A-team was huge. And he pulls up, and I'm waiting for my dad, thinking he's going to be mad. And he goes, I love it when a plan comes together. (laughs) I can't make this stuff up. This is my childhood. I love it when a plan comes together. And my mother's about ready to have a heart attack because she's like, we're going to be paying for all these demolished cars in the parking lot. Needless to say, we needed a new van. All right. I'm running out of time. Can I finish the story? Okay. We need a new van. Everyone in church knew we need a new van. I mean, it didn't have heat. You know, it's pretty bad when the people would rather walk to church than ride with you to church. And there's a man in the church who had a car dealership. And it was back when the Dodge Caravans kind of first came out. But they were about two years, three years. Those old boxy, remember those Dodge Caravans? They're like a box. Some of you have no clue what we're talking about. So, <laughs> Anyway, he says to my, my father, hey, give me your old van. I'll like total it. I'll do something with it. Use it for parts. But I, w- I know that you are a blessing to the church. I know that you're a blessing to these families, these widows, single moms, and you're picking people up and you're doing, and he says, I wanna get you this vehicle. And obvi- honestly, obviously my dad was taken back and, and he gave my father this vehicle. I think my father gave him the van and maybe a little bit of money, but not much. The, the point is we could never have afforded it. I remember we pull in the church, you know, as a young guy, I'm like, hey, I didn't have to push the van to church today. It actually has heat. And I was just so grateful, so thankful. And as a young, young boy, 11 years old or so, 10, 11 years old, I was just grateful that God saw our needs and that God was taking care of us. We pull in, park where we always park, My children's church teacher, who I looked up to. One of our song leaders and one of the deacons in the church. His first words were, it must be nice to have a pastor's salary to drive such a nice vehicle. And then went on to let my father have it. Didn't even know the circumstances, knew nothing And that basically I'm leaving this church. Jealousy and envy stray out of the pits of hell. I was a 10 or 11 year old boy and I heard and saw and it just blew my mind. It honestly broke my heart as just a boy to see that That over a van, and he didn't even know the circumstances. Didn't even know. But he allowed jealousy. You know, true, genuine, agape love. Listen to me, love is patient. Love is kind. But listen to me, love is not jealous and envious. Amen? In fact, it's the opposite. The Bible says we should rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Amen? Amen? We should rejoice if God is blessing people. We should celebrate with them, not be jealous. That is true love. How sad it is that sometimes husbands are jealous of their wives. If they're successful wives, jealous of husbands. Church members jealous of other church members. Parents sometimes jealous of their kids. True love does not envy. And all God's people said this morning, would you stand together and have a word of prayer with me? Lord, we love you.